Welcome to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Now your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. First, we hear from NGA's Chris Brown. few things on my mind uh, today. I thought I would just talk generally about kind of the day in the life of the, in the CISO office. I work for uh, Matt Connor, who's NGA CISO. Uh, we work very closely together. And then a, a, another trivia nugget, you know, Mike and I go back about 10 years. Uh, Mike, stealing his thunder a little bit. Mike led our, uh, stood up NGA's uh, cybersecurity operations cell five or six or seven years ago. And then I was Mike's deputy for years. So uh, we've worked very closely together and um, we can get into any questions or topics in those worlds as well. So the CISO role at NGA has three main responsibilities, Matt, and then me as his deputy, um, you know, we are the uh, agency CISO, obviously. Um, we're also the office director, so dealing with, you know, personnel and all the government, you know, annual assessments and all that fun stuff, um, hiring. And then the third third hat that we wear is the cybersecurity occupation manager. So that's that's managing uh, internal to NGA the the uh, cybersecurity workforce, hiring, uh, career pathing and planning and training. So those are a few areas that uh, we work in day-to-day. Um, we're also really look through the lens of uh, people, process, and technology. Um, our, our people aspect at, at my life is uh, government staff, contractor partnerships, and, and military folks. And we have a, a nice blend of really all three of those. Uh, we have uh, across the cyber spectrum there in our, in our agency, we have contractor support. And we've been doing contractor support for, what, 20 years probably. Um, so, you know, we try to mature how we manage contracts, um, and it's, it's, it's still a challenge, I'll say. I mean, there's a lot of great accomplishments, but, you know, cyber to us is, uh, is a partnership really between those three. Processes, uh, we deal a lot. You think of cyber um, from incident response type processes uh, the latest that the NGA is really trying to catch up, I'll say, not really even mature, but catch up quickly is uh, supply chain risk management. Um, we are, uh, I've said publicly, we're behind in that. We'll call it a process, a lot of different key stakeholders even internally with that. So we are, part of my job is to get the stakeholders working together and, and realizing that uh, you know, in the government way, there might not be um, a big uh, basket of money out there to help kind of build this new capability, but we might need to just realize what the threat is and what the opportunity is for us and then um, carve carve out as is how we can build up that uh, enterprise-type process. So process, another big one I'll say um, from a process point of view is uh, we continue to just get audited like crazy. Um, Don't get Mike started talking about uh, audit fatigue uh, from being audited on our processes and, uh, you know, FISMA and IG audits. Um, there's a whole lot of people telling us what to do and how to do it and how we're not doing it well. It just continues to be a big part of, say, Matt and I's day, um, day-to-day. You know, technology continues to be fun, continues to be a challenge. I'd say a few years ago, as really across the federal government, I think a lot of folks were dumping money and dumping technology into their architectures. Now we really have to challenge that. It's, it's slowed down a little bit with us. And we've challenged that with we can't just dump a new tool or capability into the architecture without 
studying smartly and saying, you know, what, what are we going to take away? What are we going to remove? You know, the agents on the host are just adding up, uh, and the, uh, our, our security stack on the boundary is really second to none. You know, and, and then what results in that is the, uh, the workforce being very frustrated with uh, network performance. So it's, it's very secure, but it's uh, also very slow and tough. So there's a few things on my mind. Jason mentioned the uh, email phishing. We still see that. I mean, we, we just uh, somewhat celebrated, as in publicized, like a, uh, a workforce memo saying that, hey, a, a, a workforce employee noticed a coronavirus odd email and reported it to our cyber security office, which is great, and we should celebrate that. But then we also say, you know, why didn't our technology catch that? Because the human continues to be the weakest link, and we really need technology to, te- to catch those uh, spear phishing emails with malicious content you know, before it reaches that user decision of should I click that or not because we know what they're mostly going to do. When we talk about the people, the process, and the technology, I want to I hone in on, on one piece of this, which is the technology for a second. You talked about we've put a lot of tools, a lot of capabilities in. We have you know, second to none you know, on, on our, our security stack, but that also creates latency, creates frustration. Are you guys at a point now where you're saying to how to rationalize tools? Are you at a point now where you're saying what tools do we have and what, what capabilities do they have and are we using them to 100%? Are we using our tools to only 30%? Are you guys going through that process? Yeah, actually all that. So it's, it's really in the last, I'd say, six months forced us to have uh, very close relationships with our, what I call the IT shop. So, you know, we are, we're the cybersecurity office right down the hallway. And, you know, Mike and I grew up in environments that it wasn't this pleasant. But right down the hallway are our close colleagues that manage our IT operations and, and our IT, say, design and build shops. We have very close relationships with them. You know, and they're struggling. You know, when, when our network is down or when users have latency problems, it's our IT operations shop that, that gets the calls. It's the help desk that gets the calls. And, and we, ha- we have to partner with them, understand the problem, and then work with our engineering staff to, uh, to kind of the second part of what you asked um, we have a couple of studies now of looking at our, our security, security architecture and um, looking at overlaps, looking for gaps, um, really looking at it from a lens of requirements to say, what do we need for you know, cloud migration? So if we are, as we're standing up, say, an a unclassified cloud environment, what we've learned over the last couple of years is you don't just turn the data center off. Right? It's a, we're going to be for a period of time in a, a dual hybrid cloud data center environment. So we should take security stack, security architecture lessons, and when we build those uh, same security stacks in the cl- for our cloud environment, as an example. Let's turn to um, Mike Ryan from NRO. A big difference between our cybersecurity shop at NRO and uh, Chris's is at NRO, we don't really have, because it's so many joint duty assignments from around the IC and there's a very little cadre, we're not responsible for the workforce stuff. We also have um, the actual engineering group for cybersecurity that provides the engineering and the integration for any of the cyber tools that might be deployed to help the, the operators and the defenders defend our networks. And then we do have the, the risk management group within our office as well. So that's where the, the big initiatives have been recently. We're looking to at the risk management framework and looking for efficiencies to get systems approved and accredited to run on the network and then also look at ways to better automate and get folks to do more continuous monitoring type things, have the hooks in there so that um, our engineers can 
our audit engineers can have the systems reporting the right events, the right alerts, and then somebody then can uh, analyze it. Um, the system owner or the um, security folks can look for anomalies or look and make sure everybody's running and configured the way they can be. Another big push is to make it easier for people to comply to things. So the, our CISO is Eric Sanders, and uh, he's been going out to our industry partners and the folks that are building things for NRO and having, as part of a security education type thing, every couple months or so he goes to a different area and uh, like a big prime would host a lot of the subcontractors and folks to come in to talk about security. And one of the, he was out at one in LA and somebody said, you know, I was told by my authorizing official that I couldn't upgrade to Windows 10 version, whatever, uh, you know, because it had to get approved first. But you want me to patch all this stuff. So Eric sent out a CISO note and said, look, if you're going to upgrade within a, a X dot whatever version, just go ahead and do it and then report back to the, your authorizing official that you did it. And we always take the, have the right to pull you back if we have to, but his theory is really nobody's ever gotten less secure by upgrading the latest versions of things. So we're trying to make that faster and easier for people to operate with. Another risk focus is we have a thing at NRO called the heat map where all the systems of record are um, scored on their patch level, the end-of-life software, how much of a risk they have depending on what accesses there are into the network they're running on. And we've gone and redone our calculations to focus more on the basic hygiene of what systems need to do, um, looking more at not just it's hard to go to a, a system and say here are you know 500 either controls or, or 500 vulnerabilities you need to patch now. We need to give them a way to prioritize that. So we're looking at what, what vulnerabilities are exploitable from where you sit in our network, patch those first, and your score will go down. We're also looking to make sure they get onboarded with our enterprise security services so that we can see the events that are going on. They can be part of our continuous monitoring program. And then the third aspect of the changing the score is their configuration management, making sure they have a configuration management process and that they've updated our um, records, database of, uh, of record to make sure they have what they need to and that we know what's out there. That's a, also a big challenge we have. I guess as far as uh, threat and deterrence, I'll, I'll make a plug there that, you know, denial of data is bad and if somebody did it, we'd know it happened. But my biggest fear is somebody manipulates the data that we're providing to the war fighters and we don't know it. And then that causes, you know, kinetic bad things to happen. That, that's my biggest nightmare. So, Mike, one of the things I want to start with is the heat map because it's, it's one of those things that you're starting to see more and more in, in government. DHS has a program called AWARE, if you haven't heard of that yet. It's not going to apply to the IC, but it's civilian, and it's saying very similar. How are you addressing vulnerabilities? How are you – the lower the score, the better. We always think higher the score, the better, but this is a lower the score one. Can you talk a little bit about how you guys developed it and, and – how is it impacting the decisions you make based on what vulnerabilities you see, what capabilities you're adding or subtracting or multiplying? So I've only been at NRO for since June, so I don't really know how it got all got started. But this new version, what we looked at was some of the systems that were scoring high on the heat map weren't necessarily the riskiest things to the director of our agency. And we wanted to find a way to make sure he knew what systems really were the, the, the most risky, say, connected to the internet with a connection to another uh, enclave that we thought was protected and might not be. So um, that's when we started re reevaluating and 
looking not just at the system as a whole was the other problem, was things were just scored based on their system, and we're trying to expand it to where you're looking more at admission threat. So a whole service, and it hits these five systems, well, how's that going to impact our mission to NRO? And those types of things get higher scores than um, lower. We also want to look at, um, we're going to add in, we haven't done it yet, is um, we're looking at the con uh, confidentiality, integrity, and availability. We're going to score those individually and then have an aggregate score. So you, it's a easier risk, or not easier, but it's a better risk decision to make when you can see what's affecting everything. Well, actually, when you're, when you're thinking through it, let me ask you, is the heat map also something that you can give to non-cybersecurity, non-IT folks, your, your executives to be like, hey, we have a problem, and let me show you why, and right. help us? And that's or the goal. Before the formula or algorithm that we used was so complicated, you couldn't, you just knew where you were in relative anybody, but it didn't really have any meat to it to explain what it is. Now it shows, okay, you have either, you know, 100 systems with private IP addresses on it that when you scan, don't tell you, it's not configured to tell you whether it's a Windows 7 box or Windows 10 box or a Windows XP box or something like that. So we want to get people to get that hygiene better. The other thing is we with using, I think, using the CIA formula and having an aggregate will allow the director to make better risk decisions based on where the threat really is. The thing I forgot of is we also want to look, we're going to incorporate a kind of a um, credit score, how much credibility does the system have? If they've had a POAM on their system to go patch, you know, XYZ vulnerability, and every, they say they're going to do it in the, at the next six-month build, but they've done that for the last two years and keep getting extended, their credibility score will go down, and that will impact their position on the heat map as well. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Chris, are you guys doing anything similar to scoring or heat mapping, or are you guys doing anything similar? Yeah, you know, on the uh, on the hygiene topic, I'll say, um, you know, when have we ever seen folks so excited about a Windows Windows 10 security patch? And uh, you know, I'm I'm envious of that dashboard, Mike. We need to come up there and get a get a demo of that. Not necessarily like that, and like Mike alluded to, our uh, networks are a lot different. You know, NGA has is unique with our um, unclassified mission set, and a lot of that is right there on the, you know, exposed to the Internet. So we've had to go through some drills recently of uh, hygiene 101, back to what I was saying earlier about working closely with the IT shop. You know, it's not our security folks out patching servers, you know, so, but we need to have a close partnership with them, explain what the threat is, explain the urgency, help them, balance priorities because they're getting hit with, in 10 different directions. And, um, and then Matt and I's job is to answer that up the chain to our CIO he mentioned. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at a recent FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. In this part of the show, the panelists take questions from the audience. My name is Bobby Simmons. I'm a global account manager at BMC Software. And uh, I guess my question is uh, more so to Mr. Mike uh, because I, I've heard 
uh, Mr. Brown speak on the parallel between IT operations and the CISO. And I'm just curious, are you guys having those same challenges as well in terms of, um, I guess you can say, event management and knowing which uh, vulnerability to prioritize uh, remediating? Is that a same, similar challenge that you guys are facing at the NRO as well? It is. Um, we're set up much the same where our CSOC and the um, IT operations people are, they're still under the CIO like we are, but they're a different office. When Eric started last November, when I got there, the relationship wasn't necessarily the best. They were kind of working their own chain and not in, not informing the CISO on, on what was happening on systems. We've um, they've, we've had a couple off sites and then had some discussions and we're we're working that out better. One of the big things is our office is where, like, U.S. Cybercom sends uh, cyber tasking orders, but then we have to get it not only to the CSOC so they know what to look for and put, you know, indicators of compromise or whatever on our systems. We also have to get it out to the other groups under the CIO that are responsible for the actual infrastructure. So we're working through improving that uh, whole formula as well. Chris, did you want to jump in on anything? or No, very similar. You know, BMC, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh... We've been working with that with them for years with incident management, and, and Mike and I kind of grew up in a, in a idle incident management shop. So, um, no good question. Yeah. You have a question? Yes. Thank you. My name is Kelly McCormick with Blue Cat Networks. Uh, just a quick question. You know, we, it was mentioned at the beginning of the talk about how the timeline to detect and remediate cyber threats is higher than ever. Like, it's insane how long it takes us to figure out when there's been a breach in our network, and it takes even longer for us to remediate that breach. So we've all got these slick vendor tools, but I'm one of those vendors, and it takes, but it still takes these organizations so long to detect the threat. So what do you think is the biggest obstacle to knocking down that time, and what's your strategy for doing so? So I don't know about a strategy, but the biggest problem to me is not knowing, because of the way our networks have come together and how old some of the stuff is, is not really, to be honest, we don't know really know what's right on the network, what, what should be going on, and nobody has the – and it, it might be changing now that we're having a lot more breaches and, and stuff, but nobody has the um, wherewithal to, to say, you know, I'm going to take a chance. We're going to put in some sort of automatic blocking thing and, and then have a, a way to then, if it's impacting mission, start taking the layers off. We need to – I think we need to start there with block a lot more. Um, a lot more anomalous behavior than what than what we allow we just allow through and and start when the mission complains then you turn it on but you have to have the risk appetite clarification on the question are you are you talking about the th threat like the speed to threat you mentioned threat are you or are you talking about speed of breach yeah speed to detect the threat on the network so a little different angle of that would be say the human side of it so over the last couple of years we've uh, spent a lot of cycles and uh and standing up, say, a um, cyber threat intel type shop. So you have some really smart cyber folks, and you, you, know, you might start with half of one. I mean, not literally, but, you know, <laughs> half of a person. Or you might start with, like, say, a task order and a contract, right? And so we started slow, and we've built that up. We're working very closely with our counter intel, say, cyber teams. Um, in, our, in our risk management uh, side of the CISO role, which I, I didn't speak to much, Mike hit on it, um, we have now just recently a, a cyber threat team under under the CSOC that's under the CISO that is providing, say, threat intelligence on systems that, that Matt has to authorize. So it's, it's I, I would say um, you, we need to invest in 
our cyber teams to build out those cyber threat capabilities and realizing that that is a, a relatively, say, immature discipline. And, and, and believe me, in standing those up, like they haven't all gotten along well this way. Right? So it's, it's, it's kind of like, I was going to make a kid joke. Um, <laughs> it, it's kind of like reminding folks of, hey, remember who the adversary is. We're all on the same team here. Let's just work out some procedures on how we work together. Like one team should complement another team. And, and, you know, you never know. Like two years from now, people can s- switch and swap in different roles. But so, so let me just ask a quick follow-up on that before we get to our next question. When it comes to threat intelligence, though, there's been a big push across the intelligence community, a big push really across the government to, be, to share more threat intelligence, to, sh- to, to share it up from industry, if you will, and down from the highest levels of the IC. What about across the IC? How are you guys sharing? I mean, Mike and Chris, do you, you guys have known each other for years, but do, how often do you all talk to share intelligence or your offices? Mike's intelligence is more of, you know, with baseball fantasy uh, league, you know. Oh, <laughs> they've known each other a long time. Yeah, They're yeah. friends. Um, I was going to make a Vista laptop joke. Yeah. Early, but I, I, I bit my tongue. Ask Mike about his old laptop. It'd be good for a lab, right? Okay, what was the question? So, hey, threat intelligence sharing. Gotcha, gotcha. I'm back on topic. So, very passionate on that as well. You know, one of my, say, proudest moments in the last few years is when the team has, has produced a simple report of what we have seen on our network, um, forensically explained, and then shared that out with, with the community. And really, at any classification level, the, lowest, the lower the better. And, um, and, and it, that comes in, in waves. So, say, for a year or so, we'll do that a little bit better. And then we, you know, the, the one the one good writer on the team, you know, moves on to do something else. And they're like, can you, can you write a white paper on cyber? It's tough. It's tough to do, you know? So, um, we're doing some of it. We're trying to do more and more. And back to the, the story when I was, I just mentioned the, uh, the spear fishing or the, the fishing example, you know, the, the second, so the first question we had was, you know, why didn't the security architecture catch that? And then the second question was now that we've caught that, how, how, or have we, how can we share that with the community, like, fast? And, and it doesn't, it can't be, like, weeks away. So that's just us proactively sharing. You know, like, our, my CSOC should reach out to Mike's CSOC within hours or minutes. And then, that, but that's the human, human-to-human kind of short-term goal. And technology is a whole other hour, if we have another hour. Okay. Mike, do you want to just jump in a little bit on the th- sharing of threat intelligence? Sure. I think there's a, lot, a long way to go. Still, um, some of it, again, like Chris said, it's all about personalities. So if, if you have a liaison, like we have a liaison up at Fort Meade who's doing a lot of good stuff and is plugged in to the, the work they're doing up there and sends a weekly report back or if something urgent happens, sends a, um, you know, calls down. However, if he leaves or we don't get to backfill that for six months, all that will have gone away. We need a better processes and, and as much automation as possible to share the, share meaningful intelligence with enough background that somebody can then act, take an action on it. Another question, sir. Hello, my name is Joe Butte with Dun & Bradstreet. Chris, during your introduction, you mentioned supply chain risk management, and I was wondering if you could uh, dig, dig a little deeper and let us know what, what are your major concerns and what's the priorities uh, related to that? Yeah, thanks, Joe. Good question. Um, the, the concern is really, uh, I look at it at a couple of ways. One is, uh, you know, what's on the loading dock, right? What's, what's coming inbound? 
and that's really hardware and software. You know, so how we build a system that uh, scrutinizes that and then it gets into threat sharing and so we know what's coming inbound to our enterprise network. And, and I'll just say generically that we are uh, maturing in that sense, right? There's some aspects we're doing better than, than others. I look at it, in my world, it's, there's some confusion of is it a counter-intel problem or is it a cybersecurity problem? And, and I like to, they're my friends, but I still like to say that it's an IT problem. I, I look at it as an IT problem. But if you looked up, if you got the, you know, the NGA director, uh, directorate of, of offices, you would not see a supply chain risk management office. And we need that. Just as a follow-up to that, last May, I think it was, the president signed an EO uh, talking about uh, information and communications technology supply chain. And, you know, that's related to Firma and CFIUS and is getting to Huawei and ZTE, and I saw a message saying that um, uh, we need to get rid of or make sure that defense systems don't have any of those components by, I think, August of this year, and what are the impacts and effects of that to our networks if we stop all of that, if we, even if we're actually able to identify all those weak points. You know, that's coming in as a, as a priority task for us, and, and that's an easy one to get behind. It's very, it makes sense. I mean, you just explaining it there really makes sense. And that's something that um, we would work with our IT shop to, to work out. The other aspect of that is just the kind of the day-to-day grind of supply chain risk management. You know, the, the stuff that's not coming from the White House of just our, our contractor. I'll just, hey, we're going to buy 10 new servers or we're going to buy, or, um, hey, the developers want this new piece of software. Thank Mike, you, did you want to add on? Just that it, it's one thing to, to say this whole company we know is, doing nefarious things, and uh, we should never buy their stuff. But there's really nobody in the United States building chips. So, you know, somebody could have put the Cisco box together in Texas, but you don't know where the stuff came from. So really you want to go for as we need to develop more of a zero trust, again, thing where you said it. (laughs) You know, where you can... um, you can monitor and, and do something about it after you've already gotten it because you really, you really can't tell. I, I have a whole other, if you want to ask me afterwards, a whole uh, Marshall plan for building chips idea. But <laughs> we'll leave that for another time. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at a recent FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. In this part of the show, the panelists continue to take questions from the audience. Are you guys working with your acquisition folks as well on supply chain? Chris is nodding. Yes. Yeah, and when I said multiple stakeholders, they're a key one too. I said the IT shop. You're right. It is a big acquisition aspect of that. I just met in my lunch table friends over here. Just met some, uh, some acquisition folks that we're going to be working with. There you go. All right, another question. Hi. Uh, Bill Cohn with Salesforce. 
You talked earlier about moving to the cloud. What are you doing to make sure you're not moving any weaknesses or vulnerabilities that exist today in your data center to the cloud service provider? For NRO, because we, we haven't moved as much as NGA has into the cloud. In a perfect world, what we'd want them to do is, is build stuff cloud native so that you're not really, you're just moving capabilities, you're not moving actual code or, or, or process. But we haven't gotten that far. The, the biggest thing we have to do right now is get our hands around more monitoring within the cloud and be able to feed it to the right people, the right people to analyze it, and then do something about it when, when something's messed up. You know, one thing I would add to that is um, it is really a Kanban. For us, it can be like a Kanban challenge of Mike and I lived a few years ago of just, you know, to the cloud in less than a year kind of mandate that we were like scratching our head. We had hair back then. <laughs> so maybe not the best job up front just because of kind of the speed and, and urgency. But then it's from a security point of view of how can, you, how can we now monitor with the, with the cloud native tools and capabilities? How can we do a better job of monitoring what's in there? how it's behaving, how it's coming outbound as well. At the same time, you guys in the IC world have also moved to the cloud more quickly than sometimes the civilian or DOD world. You had the IC Gov Cloud that NSA kicked off. You've used, we have iSight, the C2S, and now the C2E. So uh, how much are you guys paying attention to those kind of shared cloud services, or is that something that kind of falls into a, a different role, maybe for the CIO or, or somebody else? Yeah, it's more under the CIO. Uh, we have built, our engineering shop has built some um, tools to dashboard and monitor usage within C2S um, so people can know who's using the most and also um, when you're not using the most efficient portion of the cloud, giving that feedback loop back to the, uh, the people that are running and say, hey, you know, if you used this type of container, it'd be more efficient and you'd save money. The other thing we with the cloud that we'd like, it, I mean, it help, does help with the hygiene quite a bit where you don't have to go back and patch a thousand thick client workstations. If something goes wrong, you can do one, one and roll it, roll everything up, and it it helps with that a lot. So I, we're excited to get to where a preponderance of stuff is in the cloud. It's just getting there and making sure the functionality and having the money for people to rewrite the functionality in the cloud native. All right, another question. Hi, I'm Margie Abrams from Forcepoint, and my question really is around cyber threats and if you're seeing a lot of change. In the context of nation-state actors, I think there's a perception that they develop their own attack code. Are you still seeing a lot of malware as a service, off-the-shelf malware, or for nation-state actors, um, should agencies be looking at um, something different than what you've seen in the past? In this room, I'll tell you that uh, all of the above. <clears throat> so it's um, our cyber workforce has developed over the last five, ten years. And, and what they learned from a defensive point of view four, five, six, seven years ago, they still, we need to still continue to do those type of measures and then monitor how adversaries are adjusting. And, and it's a really a speed, seems to be a speed game. So some, of, some simple vulnerabilities and exploits seem to be happening faster now. So it's a, uh, there's more sense of urgency just from a, a hygiene. I mean, we've been talking patching for 20 years, you know, but it's, it has a different purpose now. The overall, at least DOD enterprise for, for cyber has gotten better in providing a, 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 like a crusty layer on the outside to protect things. Back in the day when, when Chris and I were actually 
cyber defense analysts and not in charge of people and having to deal with all that. Timesheets. <laughs> yeah. You know, you'd get a lot of denial of service stuff on your network. And now because of what DISA and everybody's done, I, you hardly ever see that anymore. So I don't know if they've changed and they're not doing it or they're looking for other ways because it's easier to, to do what they need to do. But I think that that crust has gotten better and more um, coherent. It's the, again, it's the stuff that either you don't see right away or um, the new things that people come out with that's trouble. Uh, hi, I'm Chris Simpkins from uh, Corsha. And uh, turning back to the cloud migration a little bit, a um, lot of effort over the last couple of decades has been spent on the human user and the phishing and the you know, two-factor authentication, all that. But with moving to cloud, um, the proliferation of just machine-to-machine -machine connections is growing, especially across domains. And Gartner is now saying that uh, API attacks might be the most common cyber attack in the next couple of years. So the, my question is, do you have a strategy for dealing with these machine-to-machine cross-domain hybrid uh, threat vectors? And if we can get to where we're doing more anomaly detection and not relying on you know, signatures and such, and we know what's supposed to be happening, and we can quickly respond to the out-of-the-ordinary or the out-of-band, we'll be able to detect that and do something about it. Yeah, and, you know, we're, we're spending a lot of time and effort on, on cross-domain, say, things, um, secure API, um, you know, from standards, community standards. It's got to be a part of it. I'll tell you that's uh, – I'll agree it's a current challenge of, of the day. And, um, and then I've said a few times now, you know, continuous monitoring has got to be part of the – Part of the answer as well. And, and sorry if that's not a real good answer. That's a tough question. We have to take a break. Today I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. Today, I'm playing excerpts of a panel I moderated at a recent FCA Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy CISO at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. In this part of the show, the panelists continue to take questions from the audience. Mary Majoris with CGI. I'm going to look down at my phone because I'm quoting Sean Roach from when he... Uh was part of a radio cast. Sorry, I'm going to give you a competitor, NextGov. Um, That's not radio. Oh. <laughs> We're, they're not a network. Just kidding. Okay, okay. And the topic that Sean was part of was securing the modern government workplace. And he talked about the need. This is playing on your dashboard and your heat maps. He talked about the need to wire up to give metrics on network hangups, flow-throughs, et cetera. He said there are not a whole lot of vendors who can take a whole lot of information to perform analytics, much less anticipatory analytics when it comes to the network area. So are you finding you're looking more from industry, from NGAs and NRO's perspective, to help you get greater insight into what's happening on your networks, both for network performance as well as for the cyber perspectives? Because I'm kind of hearing that... You know, initially during the conversation, you were in a good place with your dashboards, but then when Sean speaking in August, um, saying he still need, needed help at the time. We do want innovation from industry on the dashboards. The problem, again, with Chris, like Chris mentioned, was tool and capability, the overload, where you have to replace something that's there, and there, 
we don't have the money necessarily to run two things at the same time. Um, the other problem is with the, our service providers, lots of them, when that changes over because of the way the government does contracting, that some of them will throw out what the incumbent was doing because they've got this new great idea, except then it takes them a year to get that up and running. And there's the, you know, they, when they bid and won the, the contract, they didn't necessarily know how the actual uh, network was running. So it, it is a challenge, but anything, it would be nice if we could maybe revamp the acquisition process where instead of big these big service provider contract I don't know, maybe instead of these big service provider contracts, you have small niche ones for capabilities that you want and then a, an integrator. I don't know if that's going back to another way we used to do it. Um, but that that's one idea. But y yes, we need innovation and it's hard when you have, you know, big people that keep winning the same contract over, there's not necessarily incentive to innovate there. So, uh, it's a nut we have to crack at some point. Yeah, my head went to uh, to how we've outsourced, uh, um, you know, like server maintenance, you know, and, and that's, to me, that's a kind of the, the IT house and it's a it's a team of, of server admins. In a perfect world, I should be, you know, giving requirements to them to, to do what you just said. Let, let me jump in on this as well. And, and just since we have a room full of industry folks, um, are, are there certain capabilities or certain things you're looking for from industry? I mean, innovation is nice, but that also can be a bit of a hollow word because what does it really mean? And I know it can be a sensitive question to ask what capabilities because then it's like, okay, well, then is NRO missing that capability? And then hackers go, hmm. So is, is there, is there a, an advice piece or something you can say to the group of industry folks saying, hey, here's what would help us or here's what you can do to, to make us to, to lift the, all boats? The one thing I think that we fail on quite a bit is when a new product comes in, we either don't pay for or don't get the continued help with making sure it's integrated and fully used. We get the initial capability, and then we hand it off to either government guys or a different contractor to run and maintain, and, and then it's harder to get the experts back in to show, you know, if you did this, you do this, and then um, it would be, you'd provide this capability. The other problem is getting the other service providers to buy in that they need to send traps or alerts to this system because it's going to make everybody better and getting other people to use it. So we find that we've half-baked a bunch of tools and don't have the capability that we want. So if there was a way to have industry help us more soup to nuts with getting things integrated and fully utilized within the agencies, that would be great. So, yeah, echoing that, you know, one of our strongest capabilities, which I'll, I'll leave nameless now, um, rhymes with, uh, just, just kidding. Um, <laughs> one of our strongest capabilities, when we, when we procured that technology, uh, in that was a, uh, what I call like an old field service rep, you know, basically an on-site engineer right in the procurement. And that, that person has worked on-site for three or four years now. And it's one of our strongest tools in the toolbox or in the architecture. You know, so um, that's a good recipe. And then the echoing Mike's second point of, um, you know, the, these, and I feel like this is a couple years old now, but the, the tools need to continue to integrate together. You know, it's one thing to have a powerful tool in your environment, but then when, it, when that tool is complemented by another capability, it's, it's receiving feeds or it's spitting out even better intelligence or information, then it's, um, you know, we've seen tremendous value in that. Yeah. The um, key to that, the guy that did real good that's integrated is he was, sitting in our building all the time, and when real big problems came up, he worked them right next to the cyber defender blue suitor or, 
or whatnot and help them, you know, here's the answers we're trying to answer for the CIO and the CISO. Here's how we can do it with my tool. And one of the things that I hear quite often when I talk to industry is this proliferation of tools, and then you guys don't know, oh, did you know that had that capability? Right. Oh, no, I didn't know that. I bought this other tool for that capability. Well, if you just turned it on, it'd be there. Is, is that, and I'm going to throw you all under the bus, so forgive me, <laughs> is that the vendor's fault for not explaining, or is it your fault? I'll, I'll throw you back under the bus for not listening. So part of that is, is the culture it's a two-part. One's the culture of the government contractor staff, right? And so what is it? What are con- and I was a contractor for 10 years working for the government. So I'm speaking to, of myself here, right? What, what's a contractor incentivized to tell the government? And how, how are they incentivized? How's their success uh, measured? And, and then the second thing I'll say is, you know, when I, when I meet with a vendor, one of the first things I ask is, you know, what are we paying for that we're not using? You know, I try to repeatedly ask that question. And it's surprising some of the answers we get. But then, then, I'm like, then I'm stuck with, okay, how do I turn that on? And sometimes I get, well, that's new. That's going to cost you more, <laughs> more money. <laughs> we have another question. Kind of brought this up when you talked about the transition between contracts. We all have this issue is how you structure the contract, LPTA. All day long, that seems to be driving the price down, and you don't get what you want. We don't get what we need in order for everyone to be successful. I'm just wondering, is, is that being discussed inside, across the board, inside the government on how to possibly address that? We are at, at NRO. We're looking at um, and working with our contracting office to, to be able to use I mean, LPTA is, are, is the, just seems to be the easiest, and that's why people are doing it. But Eric is committed to not doing that so that we can get what we want. And um, he wants to look at all the options available within the FAR so that we can get the best performance, really, is what we're looking for. But he's then we're having some struggles then talking to the money people about why it's so much more expensive than the, it was. And it's hard sometimes to translate to the money folks what real capabilities you're getting that are, are better? In short answer is yes. We're, we're, look, we're trying to you know, take lessons learned from the past and oh. be better. And then back to my, my phrase of you know, day in the life of the CISO. I mean, that's, I, I feel like my boss, boss Matt, spends a lot of, like Mike mentioned, Eric, you know, they spend a lot of time with these, these type of issues. That's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to a special edition of Ask the CIO. Today, I played excerpts of a panel I moderated at the recent FCN Nova ICIT Day. My guests on the panel were Mike Ryan, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Reconnaissance Office, and Chris Brown, the Deputy Chief Information Security Officer at the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to Ask the CIO on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Ask the Chief Information Officer on Federal News Network. Tune in Thursday mornings at 10 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 